We are so excited that you are here to listen to the Script Tape Podcast. Go ahead. Make my day. We want to help you develop your idea into a great screenplay. Who knows? Maybe you'll write the next big blockbuster. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Well, there's always a chance, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Are you ready to learn about screenwriting? All right, then. Let's get started. Enjoy. Welcome to the latest episode of the Script Cake Podcast. We are honored to have our guest, Bob Signs today. Bob has 16 produced credits and is also the author of That's Not the Way It Works, a no-nonsense guide to the craft and business of screenwriting. Thank you so much for being here today, Bob. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, you have had an incredible career. And one of the things that we... I don't know. I don't know if the word incredible. Is... Uh, you know, hey, from where I'm sitting, it looks incredible to me. I would love to have your career. Well, thank you. So, um, one of the things I always like to get across uh, to our listeners is, you know, how do you get into the business? How do you get into the process? And I know you have some wonderful stories about that. Me, how I got into to being a screenwriter was um, through acting. I was an actor um, with a range of about three inches between my fingers. Um, and, and, uh, you've got me in there. I was really good. And I was, I got cast and stuff and I was in movies and I was on, and I did a lot of extra work to start with. I was a, you know, what a, a producer who, you know, called extras when, when I, when I was on a film set once called extras props that eat and, <laughs> and, and said that, um, that that's what I did. You walk around behind whatever's going on and you make yourself invisible. And if your elbow makes the movie, you go, look, my elbow. And, and you, you, you can either go there and, you know, try and figure out how to be a star, which a lot of extras do, or you can go there and try and soak up as much of, in, of, of an education as you possibly can about how films get made and what happens where and why and who each person is and what they do. And that's what I did on sets. I just went and I found who does, who does what and why do they do it? And why is all this stuff going on? And, and as I did more extra work, I got more comfortable in front of a camera and I got, I got ended up getting headshots and an agent. And my wife is bringing me water right now. Thank you very much. And and I got an I got an agent in San Francisco who put me up for commercials and that were shooting there and shows that were shooting there and movies that were shooting there and I was lucky enough to land some parts and I got into SAG. I'm in the Screen Actors Guild. Now I've been in the Screen Actors Guild like 25 years. Wow. And I've I ended up on a television show for six seasons with a very small, very tiny recurring part as a police sergeant on a show called Nash Bridges with Don Johnson and Cheech Marin, which I hear they're rebooting with Don Johnson. Oh, wow. Yeah. Without me, I can tell you that. I'm, I'm way too, about you. You were the, I'm way too old to play that part anymore. <laughs> and Don Johnson isn't <laughs> too old to play that part anymore. No, because Don Johnson is Don Johnson. 
Um, but it's nice to know that that they're getting back and doing it, and it's really great. And and at the time, it was really important to me because it was really important to my career because I wasn't doing what I'm doing now. So uh, while I was on the show, I soaked up as much as I could and found out why they used what lens they used and why they lit things the way they did and how the camera, what what lenses were used for what and all these different things, how the Steadicam worked. And I just wanted to learn as much as I could about how films and with Nash, we were making a million dollar film a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or more. And, and so what I, what I learned was invaluable to me as a writer, I found out later, but I, I looked at the scripts and I thought, Hey, I can do this. I should be able to write a movie. So I did a little, little uh, looking around and found out that there was this thing called movie magic screenwriter. And so I bought movie magic screenwriter for my, you know, you know, it almost used up all the space in my computer. And, and um, I wrote uh, an episode of Nash Bridges. And I gave it to them and, and, and they laughed and said, that's not the way it works. Right. That's a plug too for the book, but that's not the way it works. The um, we have a writer's room and we have all this and Carlton Q's who was a showrunner was really nice. And I had developed a friendship with everybody. So it wasn't like, who the hell do you think you are? Um, And uh, there was a little laugh over it. And then he read it. And he said, hey, you got some skills. Nice. And I said, thank you. He says, you should keep writing. And um, and so I wrote another script, a screenplay a movie. And through um, only what it only can be called a absolute miracle of, of just God and everything coming together in a in a whirlwind of occurrences that if one didn't happen, the whole thing wouldn't happen. Uh, it got in its first draft form to uh, Polygram Studios in LA and they optioned it. Wow. That's, and they were going to make it. That's almost unheard of for something. Yeah, like it's, that. It is. It's just like a one in a billion thing. And Paul and Paul and I, I went, Oh boy, I'm going to be a screenwriter. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be great. And, and I let my ego get out of control, which was stupid. And I'm glad for a lot of reasons. It never happened because Universal bought Polygram for their music library and ditched all the Polygram films, including mine. Mm. And it went poof, it went away. And it was a huge um, education. Yes. And it was a huge uh, blow to the ego. And I went from somebody who got their calls returned to somebody who's got their calls not returned. And it was a great lesson for me. And, you know, in a way, I'm kind of glad it happened because it, I could have ruined a career by being, by letting my ego go the way it was. So um, uh, on the set, there was a um, producer who I got to know really well. and We talked about writing. And he said, you know, what you write and the way you write is more important than trying to write something to sell. 
that you should be writing something to sell yourself as a writer rather than writing something to sell as a film. Yeah, because that's what they buy. They buy you as a, as a writer. And, um, you, you know, you can write a great script, but, you know, there are a lot of one-hit wonders that way. What you want to do is be a guy who gets his writing assignments, which now I am, and I love it. I mean, it's just, it's the best part of writing. Um, but what they, what they, what he said was, write something out of the box. Write something unusual and fun and different and something that, that appeals to you that, that you haven't seen before. Don't try and write something that everybody else is writing because you think it might sell. Write something to sell yourself as a writer. So I sat down for my second script and wrote a little script called Extracurricular Activity, which now is kind of a semi-legendary script in Los Angeles. <laughs> It was, it was, you've seen the film because you told me you did. I watched it today, actually. And, and it's got a very unusual plot line. It does. And it could be construed as being, um, oh, I guess a little uh, controversial. And, and. Safe to say. Yeah. And so people fell in love with the script. It was over an 18-year period. It was optioned eight different times by eight different production companies, producers, one studio, Universal, and more production companies and more producers until it got made a, a, a short 18 years later. And they all loved it, and they all wanted to make it, and they all just kind of got scared of the storyline. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so it finally got made two years ago and it did really well. And it's still doing really well on Amazon Prime. Um, and, and it's uh, got, got good reviews. It's got a couple of people who hated it, but they hated it for the same reason that it didn't get made a few times because it has a, a message that some people could construe as controversial. I was impressed by uh, the cast as well. I thought oh, it was well performed. I was, uh, yeah, they did a great job with that. I was, I couldn't have been happier with the casting. Um, when I write my scripts, I don't describe my characters physically in any way. I only give the age range. I never talk about what they look like or who they are so that it gives the opportunity for the reader, A, to see whoever they want to see while they're reading it which involves the reader more in the read makes them part of the read because they're imagining what they would have the character look like. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it also for a cast or director or a casting person gives them a wide swath of options of what they want to do. You, the woman who played the police chief, was she not fabulous? Fabulous. And I love her hair. <laughs> I love her hair too. She's fabulous. She's a nice woman too. Charmaine. Charmaine. She's great. But you know what? I wrote it as a man. And because I wrote it so generally, they hardly had to change any of the dialogue with her. Yeah. I don't think anything was gender specific there. No. Because a lot of, uh, you know, screenwriting gurus and so on and so forth will spend a lot of time saying, how much detail and what you need to say about the characters and so on and so forth. One of the best 
um, character descriptions that I ever read was he was your best friend when you were 12. There's something very specific about that, but there's something specific to each person that's reading that because all of us had a different, you know, and it personalizes that character to you, to you and endears that character to you. And so there was no this tall. Uh, my, my very favorite description of a character yeah. is, was it was like, I can't remember what it was, but the description was he never met a pound cake he didn't like. <laughs> but I just thought, what a great description. Yeah, it's one know. line that really describes everything you need to know about this guy. Yeah. No, love it. Love it. I'm all in favor of doing a, a, um, a unfilmable about a character when you first introduce them, but it can't be more than one sentence. Mm -hmm. You just have to do it. Well, right. Yeah. There are certain people like if you listen to John August podcast, who's also a great screenwriter. John August is awesome. Yeah. He's always talking about, you gotta, you gotta nail these descriptions for the characters because that for him, that's the, one of the most important things. And I don't think he means you got to tell me what color their hair is and what color their eyes are. And if they're, you know, if I read another description, like, you know, uh, she's a natural beauty, she's beautiful, but doesn't know it. I'm just so tired. Do you know, do you know that, that, that there are now, uh, development execs who are telling their readers if they see those things to put the script down. I did not know that, but it's good to know. Yeah. I'm the, just the first time you call a woman beautiful or gorgeous or talk about her body in a script and it isn't, has nothing to do with the story. If the, if it's a plot point, they don't care. That's, that's fine. Right. But if it's not a plot point and it's just there. Nope. You're that's just, it's, that's not. Not copacetic, not acceptable anymore. No. I think that's a great point. Cause I know I'm just sick of seeing the same thing written. You know, I think I, I wrote it in my book. Don't do it. You know, join us in the 21st century. <laughs> um, um, it's, it's part of the part of being a screenwriter is not only understanding story, but understanding society and understanding what what some of the norms are in society now and how things have evolved um, um, doesn't mean you have to be politically correct if you don't want to be. Right. And it doesn't mean because I'm often not politically correct in some of the things I write, but I'm not offensive either. Right. And 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 you want to be there's a fine line of realizing that, yes, you get to write anything you want, but that doesn't mean that people who are reading it have to accept it. Right. And so you have to be, you have to walk the line of, of, of knowing that, that you can be super creative, but still not do some of the things that were done in the past that because of, of Me Too movements and other things that were, and listen, I had a friend of mine who worked for Harvey Weinstein and, and, and it was not, it was a very, not, it was a very ugly thing and the guy deserves everything he gets. And, and, and because of things like that, that you have to be more careful about just words you throw away, you might throw away in another script. 
to me, every word in, in one of my scripts matters. I don't throw away any words. I don't just write something to write it and get through with it and get to the next sentence. And you'll find that most great writers, and I'm listen, I'm not throwing myself in that category, but most great writers are the same way and they'll say the same thing. They're very careful about their word choices. Mm-hmm. Very diligent. You know, it's a fine line to, to be edgy and not cross over into a space that is so offensive. I, I'm not, I'm not mad at offensive. I'm mad at egregious offensive. <laughs> Does that make yeah, sense? And that's, and that's, and that's what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's changing. You know, the screenwriting is a lot like, you know, things come and go in style, out of style. You know, I have students that will put cut twos unnecessarily a million times now where 25 years ago, that was the norm. Now that is not the norm. But when they go read a script 25 years ago, they see a million cut twos in it. They think, well, and I tell people, leave the cut twos off for one good reason. It wastes white space. You could be telling story. Absolutely. By the time you're done with all those cut twos, you've got three pages of story that you've lost. Maybe more. Yep. Maybe more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Please continue. Um, well, I just, uh, I, um, uh, I got a manager out of, of, uh, one of the producers that, that, um, no, it's a director. One of the director uh, of extracurricular put me in touch with a manager and said, uh, you should rep this guy. And the manager said, okay. Now this after, after we had a talk. got made a few years ago or from years, yeah. and years ago. When it no, was- I, all those things that I did, those eight different, eight different, um, uh, I, I had, I had optioned. Not only extracurricular eight times, I had optioned some of my other scripts two and three times without, without ever having a rep or a manager. Now, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, I have four produced film scripts without representation or management. It can be done. I have a friend of mine. I just was talking to him today who has had just sold two more scripts and he doesn't have an agent or a manager. And he's got three or four movies produced. Yeah. I think a lot of people are under this misconception that once you get an agent or a manager, then you can just kind of sit back on your laurels and focus on the writing. And that is absolutely not the case at all. And, uh, you know, they think the agent or manager fairy is going to come float around and just, you know, give them jobs. They don't understand that, that yes, a manager or an agent can open doors for you, but you have to sell yourself. You have to be the one that walks in those rooms and goes, hi, I'm who I am. Will you, you know, here's what I have and here's what I can do. They don't just get you jobs. They get you opportunities and you get you jobs. Right. And <laughs> even beyond that, you get you opportunities. Yes. You, you know, never I'm- stop um, uh, networking and and working to get people to read your, your stuff or to get rewrite jobs or to, to, to open up. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many right for hire jobs I've gotten through recommendations from other producers to other producers. I mean, it's just, it's been, it's been a blessing beyond what you can believe because I've never, I've, uh, but I, it's, it's because I built this network of people over the years 
um, to help push to help market my my uh, scripts. Yeah, I often will tell my students that you've got to write a script that is undeniable because believe it or not, there's X thousand people looking for that script. And if it's written in such a way, people are going to be happy to recommend it and happy to be attached and happy to get it forward. That's how my stuff has always gotten out there where you write something that's people actually talk to other people about and the next but, thing. But the, the caveat there is you have to write something that's undeniable. That's true. Okay. Tell me how easy that is. <laughs> well, for, A, that's close to impossible. B, <laughs> I won't say close to impossible, but it's a tremendous amount of work. And, you know, if I read out of the hundred and some odd scripts I read a year, if I read two that are outstanding, right. it's a good year. I would not disagree with that at all. And I think this goes back to something that you said earlier, um, which is a writer has to know their voice. They have to have a voice. It's not about, you know, writing what you think is going to, hey, a, a monster movie came out this year. Let me go write a monster movie. That never works out for you. No. Uh, no. You need to write something that you were so passionate about and so excited about that that passion and excitement leaps off the page and infects the person who's reading it. I did. I have written two monster movies. Um, one with a friend of mine who's an executive at Marvel. Oh, wow. Nice. We wrote, we wrote a monster movie. It's not a Marvel thing. So, and then we wrote, and then I wrote another one um, uh, two years ago or in, in 2018, I got diagnosed with cancer and I went through chemo and I'm cancer free now. So thank you. Happy to hear that. Thank you. But while I, right after I got done with chemo and was done with surgery and all that stuff, I thought, you know what? I think it's the perfect time for me to write a horror film. It is. You just went through a horrific experience. It was. Yeah. So I wrote one and people really like it. And so I'm, there's a few people now that are, that are looking very seriously at it. So was it cathartic for you? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's, that's what I'm talking about, that this intangible thing that's called a voice and something to say. Um, you, you, do, you develop that voice, though, if you allow it to happen. The problem is a lot of writers try and force their voice, and they force it by trying to be something they're not, whether it's Tarantino or whether it's, or whether it's uh, any other of the great screenwriters that they've read and, and admired, that they decided, I'd like to write like them. And that just sets you back because no one is going to have your voice if you can develop it. You know, it may take eight or nine scripts to develop your voice, to develop that comfort level with writing where you find what works for you. It could be the first script. For me, it was my first script because I didn't know anything about it. I hadn't read any books about screenwriting. I didn't look for other voices because I never read anybody else's scripts. I just decided to write stories. I believe that great writers are great storytellers. And I think that, that, that it's, a, it's apparent to me as I work with other writers and I talk to other writers and I read other writers' work, the one I like the best are the ones that can spin the best yarn, who can tell me the best story. And I think story gets lost 
in a lot of the gobbledygook that that screenwriters are subjected to when they're taught when when they try to learn how to do this not right. when they're not because you're doing a good job and, <laughs> and and what what i my my whole thing is is that that when when i'm asked where are my act breaks where are my three acts in my movies i always say they're wherever you want them to be because i never thought about them all i wanted to do was tell a great story yeah and i and i i think that everything you're saying about that is absolutely correct i am at a point now where i don't really outline anymore i just find a moment i want to get to and it's somewhere in my third act and i just start working my way there and because I've written so much, um, you know, a first act break does occur around 25 or 35 or somewhere in that general vicinity. A great story, it's always going to be. The right. thing about it is, is great stories have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I say this in the book, it's like the cavemen when they were pointing to the pictures on the walls. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the great stories had a beginning, a middle, and an end. I always take great pride when uh, I'm somewhere where someone doesn't know me which is, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time. <laughs> and, and I'm telling a story about something to somebody that I don't know. Like I, one time, uh, when Tiger won some amazing golf tournament, like 20 years ago, I was whitewater rafting with a buddy and the people that we were there with had not uh, heard about the tournament. And it was unbelievable sequence of events. And he had to hit back-to-back -back amazing shots and so-and-so. And uh, they're like, what happened? And I, and I told the story. And before I was done, they're like, are you a writer? And I took great pride <laughs> in that fact because I started I think that's great. on the edge of their seat the entire time. You know what I mean? Yes. And yeah. that's what you want. That's, right. and that's the way you want to write, too. Absolutely. And my, my philosophy of, of writing has always been there's only one really important thing, and that's story. Uh, too many, too many writers come up with these ideas for films, you know, like I'm a, the, the, the old, you know, the revenge film or the whatever film. And they don't, they don't bother to actually have a story involved with it. And I read these scripts and I think, where's the story? When I teach, I make a distinction between two things, between a story and a concept. You know, a story is kind of an emotional thing that's happening that exists at the, yes. you know, the, if you want people call it so many different things, character arcs or this, that, and the other. Sometimes you need them, sometimes you don't. Um, and then there's this thing called a concept. And, you know, concepts are what's on the poster or what's in the trailer. You go and see Iron Man because he's dressed as a robot and killing people and shooting things. And that looks like fun to me. And from a conceptual standpoint, it's almost the same thing as you go and see Spider-Man because he has these powers and he shoots webs from his wrists. Or you go see Captain Marvel and she shoots blasts from her. They're all the same concept with the slightest variation. But inside of each one of those concepts is a really dynamic story about a character who's evolving in some way, shape, or form. Yes, absolutely. And, and so, um, so many people, I'll, I'll be brought in to review scripts and they're, you know, they're writing something. And they're like, I don't know why, you know, I get to page 20 or 30 and I don't have anything else to write. What am I doing wrong? And I'm like, well, your story doesn't have a story. <laughs> You're just writing stuff happen. Like there, there, it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a series of scenes that are unrelatable. 
Right. I just read a script today from a fr- from somebody who sent it to me, a friend, a producer. And I said, there's in the first 15 pages, there are four scenes that shouldn't even be in this movie. They have no related, they have no, they don't push the, the story forward. They do it too. That's the first problem. The second problem is you, your writer didn't do any research because none of these things would happen in this area that, that you've written about. And here's why they wouldn't happen. And you cannot write about a real place or a real job or a real occupation without grounding it in some kind of reality so that you can take that reality and be creative with it. You can't just make stuff up out of whole cloth because audiences are smarter than that. And they see that or readers are smarter than that. Producers are smarter than that. You won't get past, they won't get past page five when they read something like this happened in a hospital when they know darn well that it could never, ever, ever happen. Yeah. Did you mention that? Yeah. I think you mentioned that about somebody who, uh, they got in trouble and they had to become a nurse or something in the hospital. No, it, was a, it was a, it was a character in a, in a script I read where she was arrested for prostitution and her community service was being a registered nurse. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to laugh. An insult to registered nurses everywhere. My wife is an RN and she said, wait, what? <laughs> I remember, I think in the book, you wrote something about a pastry or a breakfast thing that you were. I wrote a, I wrote a, I wrote a book that, I mean, a book, a movie that took place in a Kringle factory. Kringles are a Midwest pastry thing that comes out around Christmas time. And now they're all year round, mm-hmm. but they're really good. And um, I called a Kringle factory in the Midwest and I said, How, what's the process for making them? What, how big is your floor? What do the employees do? How do they frost them? How do they do all this stuff? And, and, and I was able to get, and I, they want to know why. And I say, I'm writing a movie. I was writing a movie for Hallmark that was based in this kind of factory, making this particular pastry. And they all went, we'll do anything you ask. We'll, we'll send you all kinds of stuff. We want, we want you to get it right. So I was able to write that portion of the film where things happened on the bakery floor from a, from a, from some research that I did to make it realistic. And we were, when we were going over the script, one of the producers went, yeah, but would that really happen? And I went, not only would it really happen, it does every day because I did all the research and found out how they did all this stuff. Yes. They go, yay for you and thank you. And that's what every that screenwriters don't understand. You don't just get to make stuff up. Right. It has to be grounded in reality. If you're going to now, if you're going to build a universe like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings and build a complete universe out of nothingness and have it be its own thing, yeah, you can make everything up. Yeah, but those things are still grounded in in reality. Sure. From an emotional standpoint. And so, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I was uh, hired to adapt a novel 
about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Ooh. And I'm like, I can adapt it and I can make it look like a screenplay, but I don't know anything about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, my heritage is Indian, but don't know anything about it. And so I had them write into my contract. They sent me to Israel and Palestine for a month. And so I spent three weeks in Palestine and a week in Israel researching it. And now I'm highly educated on it and highly opinionated about, you know, what I'm going to write. And like, that's a bare minimum thing that I think writers don't, you know, think that they need to do. I've been on ride-alongs with cops. I've interviewed, I've, I've watched surgery. I've been in, I've, I've, I know how hospitals work. I know how, how police, I, I, um, I went, I, I watched SWAT training. I did, I have a, I have a, 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 my wife has a cousin who's a expert sharpshooter and a, and a sniper. And I got some really great information from him. I got, um, I've been, I've done all kinds of, of, I'm doing some research right now for the, I just got hired to rewrite a script where I, the, one of the first thing I asked the producer was this premise, is this even possible? And she goes, I don't know. The writer said it was. And I said, hold on, give me an hour. And I called her back and said, not possible, but here's what we can do to make it work. Um, I think, and I'm still working on it and I'm, I'm getting closer and I'll, I'll figure it out, but it's still, you have to do your research. You have to do the work it takes to write the right kind of, of film to get people to, like you said, it has to be outstanding and you can't write an outstanding script without doing the research it takes to do it right. There's the authenticity that is required. Absolutely. And that. And that authenticity goes from hundred million dollar films down to half million dollar films. It's not the authenticity isn't isn't something that you can just toss because the budget is lower. Yeah, and the research, to be honest with you, is one of my favorite parts. It's fun, you know. I got to it go used for to be it. fun. Now you have to do it online because of COVID, but it used to be really fun. years ago. Buddy and I uh, were working on a script together. There was this uh, a big sequence. And people, a bunch of people jumping out of planes. Okay. So I went skydiving. <laughs> I wanted to know what it was like. So, and I have very specific notes on, you know, when you skydive, make sure this, 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 this and it's because I did it. You no, know? it's so cool. It's so great. I just, I, I love that. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, you know, it's, 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 it's above and beyond sometimes, but how much, of a difference did it make in the way you wrote the script? It made a lot of difference. And like, it made the script better, didn't it? Yeah, I didn't even realize like when you're facing down, you can't talk to each other. You can't hear anything because the air is hitting your face so much that you can't even really breathe. You've got to pop your head up and, you know, and you wouldn't know that if you didn't do it. And so, uh, yeah, it made a lot of difference. Um, all I right. Can... Getting back to where we were. How did you parlay the writing that you were doing? You wrote extracurricular activities. You wrote um, a bunch of rewrites. This is where we got. No, I didn't do it. But I, this is where we, this is where we get to the meat of the, the, you know, where I get my first produced script. Yeah. 
my manager sent extracurricular activities to a producer that he knew that was looking for writers. And she called me and said, I want to meet with you. And I went in to meet with her and she said, we're producing a Hallmark Christmas movie. And I said, well, considering that extracurricular activities is pretty much the anti-Hallmark movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> I thought, um, okay. And she says, no, I love the way you write. I love the creativity. I just want to see what we haven't been able to crack this story idea. We had, we've had four or five different writers come in and we can't crack this script and we're going to, you know, you know, help us Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're our only hope. And I said, they said, otherwise we're just going to toss, toss in the, you know, and, and not do it. So we're going to let you have a crack at it. Plus at the time I was cheap because I was new. And so I took a crack at it and it ended up, they absolutely loved what I did. I rewrote it stem to stern from top to bottom. There's probably not a single word that any of those other writers wrote. Um, it's called Help for the Holidays. It was a summer glow uh, spectacular. Firefly. Love summer glow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was the only Hallmark movie she ever did. Uh, in an interview, they asked her, why did you do a Hallmark movie? And she said, it was the script. Yay. Yep. Victory. Yay, victory. So I said, this is nice. I like Summer Glau. And I liked her before, but I like her better. And I said, um, uh, it well, it ended up being the seventh highest rated Hallmark movie of all time. And that year, and it was the number one rated Hallmark movie for the year. And it's continued to do really well for them every year, even though it's now uh, almost 10 years old. Hmm. and and um i'm very proud of it and i love the movie and i love the way it turned out and i love the fact that they took my script and almost shot it by the time we did a few rewrites because of notes from them there were some jokes and some things in it that i originally had where they said this is really funny we can't do this and i said sure we can figure out other stuff and we did and they pretty much shot it word for word, uh, the shooting script that I ended up giving them for the last, the last version. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm, and I'm proud of the work I did on it. And I'm proud that they, I'm really happy that, that they gave me that opportunity. I owe them a lot. Um, can, I, can I ask you some questions? What were they trying to crack? And then what was it like for you to go from, you know, writing a movie where this, teenager is killing off people's parents <laughs> to shifting gears into, you know, a completely different direction. What was that experience? Um, there's no, uh, to me, there's nothing to it. And, and maybe there is for other people, but to me, you write the kind of movie that people want. You give, you give the producers the movie that they want to see. You do it in your own creative way, in your own creative voice. but learning as a screenwriter to write what other, what the people who are paying you want to see rather than what you want to see all the time is a very, very, very valuable skill. And to be able to do that is to be able to work a lot, but it isn't, it isn't like it's selling out because you can still be super creative 
and do some really great fun stuff, but you have to do it within their paradigm. Right. You have to do it within what they're searching for. And you can't be, you know, you have to be able to do it their way because they're, it's their, it's their script. It's what it's their production. It's their money. Yeah. That, that leads me to a thought that I've had for a long time. So many writers out there are think their stuff is so precious. You know what I mean? Like you can't change a word. And uh, I even tried to option a script from someone once and I was going to, you know, ask him to tweak a couple things and, and here's the deal. It's 10 years later. That script's never going to get made. Nope. Nope. Listen, when you option your sell a script, it's like, it's like selling a car. You can't tell the new owner. They can't paint flames on it. That's right. Okay. It's the same thing with a script. Yep. I have taken other writer scripts and have rewritten them to the point where the writer would probably not even recognize it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I only did that because that's what the people paying for me wanted me to do. Right. Okay. And I'm going to do that for this new script that I just got. I'm going to do a page one rewrite. I'm going to retool. The story idea is good. Mm-hmm. And I will keep the story idea because that's what they bought the script for. It's the execution. It's the execution. And that's what I'm going to, to change. And I won't keep the dialogue and I, because it was not good. And I'm going to, I'm going to try and, and build this story back up from the framework that is there. You do a lot more rewriting work or original work now these days? Uh, last year I had two movies come out. Uh, both of them were job were paid jobs, right for higher jobs. One of them was, uh, three producers who had a great story idea and asked me if I would write it into a film. I took their story idea and I said, look, I have a great background with my grandmother and Christmas where it was kind of a Cuban Christmas. Let's take this story and set it in New Mexico and do a Hispanic Christmas movie. And based on what you have here, which is this story. And they went, oh, yes, we can do that. And we did. It's called the Christmas Yule blog. And it's basically a lot of the things that, that my my Cuban grandmother did who didn't speak any English. Um, and uh, and and what kind of some of the things it isn't my story. Nothing in the movie that I that happened to me is in the movie. <laughs> It's all made up, but it's got a, again, a basis in reality of my experience of my family. You're writing from a place of truth. Yes. Yeah. And that's something that uh, I try to get across. And then the other movie was a movie called uh, The Farmer and the Bell. And if we were on video, I would hold up the the DVD, but we're not. Uh, (laughs) So, and The Farmer and the Bell was a movie that a friend of mine from I hadn't talked to I hadn't seen in 20 years was making this book she was making this movie and they'd had five writers come in and try and crack the script and I read it and I told them what I thought was wrong with it and then I told them that that the problem with the script was one character needed to go completely one subplot needed to be completely gotten rid of 
that that the that some of the uh the two main characters needed more of what they needed to do and the entire last 35 pages needed to be just gone and redone with a brand new ending because the ending they had didn't fit with the woman being the protagonist i here's why your ending hasn't worked because it switches protagonists wow because of what happens and none of the other writers had seen it doesn't mean they're not good writers it's just that sometimes those things you get so ingrained with what you're trying to do with a film that you don't look at wholesale change yeah you don't have perspective yeah yeah it's not that they do because afterwards i talked to one of the other writers and she said i don't know how i didn't see that because you're it was you're absolutely right i don't know how i didn't see it yeah in your book you mentioned after you write it put the script in a drawer for a few weeks yes yeah i need like three to six months, or I need to go write a different script and then come back to the previous one just to get perspective. And aren't you surprised at how much you like some of the stuff in it and say, wow, did I write that? And aren't you surprised to look at something and go, that is a logic hole you could drive a truck through. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the favorite thing I do is if I go back and read something that you know is not produced from 10 years ago, I love if I'm pleasantly surprised. Like, it's not bad. <laughs> it needs some work. I read, all, I read all my scripts every year. Really? I do is I go over all my scripts every year and I change the tech and I change the social, uh, the, any kind of a, of a social mention that gives them, that dates them so that they always look new. Are these for uh, all your scripts or just the ones that haven't been sold yet? All my spec scripts that aren't sold. Yeah. I was, I just started a rewrite on a script maybe three weeks ago. And, um, man, I must've written this before iPhones came out. because of the way that I was like, wow, this is every year I go through all my scripts. It takes me about a week to do them all because all you have to do is look for the tech stuff. Mm-hmm. And I look for, I look at tech and I look at, at, at mentions of things that are, that are socially relevant for whatever time that I wrote the script right. and I change them. Yeah. So that then if somebody wants to read that script now, they don't read it and say, oh, this is an old script. Every producer wants to think that every script you wrote was new. So why not make them all look new? And then there's all kinds of things now that because of cell phones that you can't have people do because all they'd have to do is get their cell phone out and call somebody. So you have to make you there's sometimes you have to make big changes in scripts. It does do a lot of changes. So um, this started you on your Hallmark journey, right? Or in that realm. I know you've also done some stuff for a lifetime as well. But um, so you just continued forward. You just kept getting more jobs after that. How, how yeah, you- I just uh, through, uh, through, through, you know, referrals and through my manager getting me meetings and through uh, just having people read my scripts. And through knowing that the scripts had done so well other places, it just kind of went through a natural growth. I started off in the mailroom with my first script, my first production, and just kind of moved up 
the latter. And, and it's been, it's been a fun, long, long, long fun journey, but I'm not nearly where I want to be um, yet. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some fun things in the future. I sold a pilot, um, not uh, in 2019, 2020 came along and everything ground to a halt. I'm hoping that that now will move forward somewhat. I've got another pilot that some people right now are looking at very seriously. I'm very happy about that. I have some other opportunities that are out there. The horror script is getting some really, really solid play uh, from two or three different people. And I'm hoping that there'll be, you know, one of those people that'll pop up and say, you know what, we really want this. We want to make this. There's been a couple of people say they want to make it, but it happened in 2020 and all, they all said, we have to just step back. Right. Yeah. It's a different place. Not only did COVID stop production, but there were a lot of people that decided that, wait a second, maybe I need to hang on to my money. So a lot of production money and financing money got put in, you know, coffee cans and buried. Right. Uh, and only now are they starting to be dug up and people starting to invest again. So speaking of 2019, uh, you had something else happen. Your book, That's Not the Way It Works, came out in 2019. What uh, prompted you to write this book? I had, I had a blog that was kind of fun and that I had uh, that did well and people read it. And I got a lot of it got, you know, it got a few thousand hits every month. Um, and and I was I was being asked to speak and teach at writers conferences across the country and at uh, film festivals. And every time I went to a film festival or a writers conference, uh, everybody else who was speaking there had a book. I came home to my wife and I said, you know what? Everybody's got a book to sell. And she goes, well, then write one. <laughs> my wives are there to give us clarity. Right? <laughs> so I said, okay. So I sat down in six months. I, I used some of my old, old uh, uh, blogs as templates and some of them I didn't. And I, and I had an absolute joyful ball writing this book i had it was so much fun and uh it got published at the end of 2019 and shot up to the number one selling screenwriting book for a while and kind of hovered in the top 100 ever since and uh goes up and down and but it never really gets out of that top 100 and it sells i'm selling some every day and bought one last week myself Huh? I bought mine last week. My and I and you have no how idea how appreciative I am. Wow, really am. Thank I you. All the people that are reading your book are very appreciative. Now, as someone, if you look at this wall behind me, only you can see it, and there's literally maybe a hundred or two hundred books on screenwriting. Yeah, I can see it. Um, this doesn't read like a book on screenwriting. <laughs> Somebody, somebody said to me that it reads like if they were sitting with me in Starbucks and talking about screenwriting. That's exactly it's very conversational for sure. That was my goal. My goal was to 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 simplify, simplify 
simplify, to talk about screenwriting and the business of screenwriting only from what I have seen, heard, and experienced. And that's what I did in the book. The second half of the book is basically just what you need to expect and what you need to do if you want to be in business as a screenwriter. And it is a business. You know this. Yeah, I always say it's show business, not show art. And it can be art. But again, you have to ground it in that business reality. And so you... Uh, you have to understand as a as a screenwriter or a want to be screenwriter or somebody who desires it that you have to treat it like the business it is and that you have to keep records and that you have to spend money to make money and that you have to you have, you can't just sit around and wait for people to come to you to buy your fantastic script because they will never come and that you can't change the way that the business works because you don't like it. That's the main thing I hear from most young screenwriters is we have to change the way the business works. We have to change the paradigm. We have to make it different because it's not working for me. Well, <laughs> you need to find out how it works and then work within that because that's what every other successful screenwriter did. Yeah, I think that, you know, as someone who went to film school and, you know, got my MFA in screenwriting and is very much, you know, followed that path, they taught me what to do from fade in to fade to black. But they didn't teach me anything else. And, you know, even in production, they taught me, you know, you, you write a movie and how to make it. Now you have it in a file or on a disc. But there's pre-production, there's funding, there's financing, there's development, there's you know, marketing, there's distribution, there's, you know, all these different festival tours. And like one of the funny things I was chatting with a buddy of mine who co-produced, co-produced our first film together is we got finished with it and we got to watch it on a computer and we were so excited. And then you walk out and in your mind, there's this whole thing with the red carpet and the limousines pulling up and this celebration. And, you know, we're like, you know, where is that? And we're like, Oh yeah, we got to organize that too. <laughs> like we have to go. <laughs> we I've, gotta... only been, I've only had one red carpet in my in my sixteen films. It was for extracurricular activity. It was incredibly fun. I did the I did the question and answer with the crowd at the um, at the premiere in L.A. I did this question and answer at the crowd at the premiere in Nashville. The director went to New York for that one at the same time. Uh, it was a great, wonderful experience that I'm glad I had because I may not ever have it again. But, you know, I, I hope that every screenwriter out there that's listening to this, I hope one day you can have that experience. Yeah. Because to walk down that, that red carpet, even if it's 12 feet long, yeah. and to stop and talk to those those people from Entertainment Tonight or or wherever they're from and, and, or some YouTube channel, doesn't matter and talk to them and tell them how excited you are to be there and have them ask you questions and to get, you know, a, a few photographs from the red carpet that you can have that no one can ever take away from you. You know, you dream about those things. You really do. And when they happen, 
they happen really quick and it it uh it's when it's over you go what 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 just happened yeah and it's nice to have the recordings and the pictures because it all goes by in such a blur we had a premiere for a uh, movie that i produced in a theater that held like uh, 13 or 1400 people and uh um it was packed and even simple things you don't think about, like, you know, when you see people arriving in limo after limo after limo, when you're coordinating it as the producer, you realize it's only the one limo and it goes around the block, picks up the next people, comes back around and then it goes around the block, picks up. I don't, I don't think we had any limos. We just, there was parking across the street from the theater. One limo, uh, and each group, like me and my wife and my kids got to come out at this point. Oh, that's so funny. And the next producer came out with his, you know, it yeah. was hilarious. And it's like, yeah, but we, as a producer, you have to coordinate every little element. We're not I think that's funny. Them. I love that. I love that. I love that. In fact, you know, now you're going to see that in something I write. Um, <laughs> just just I, my, I'm a character's name, Lavender, okay? Yeah, okay. You got it. But... <laughs> That's funny. Um, I I just think that that most films come out nowadays. They get streamed. They get and there aren't the there aren't the red carpet. And now that with COVID and all that stuff, you know, there wasn't even red carpets for some of the big films that came out this year. And uh, it's I think it's sad, but it's a reality. And you learn to to live with it. I I. I did the uh, Christmas Yule blog uh, completely in Zoom meetings with the producers. We sat and talked about notes and we sat and and when it got, when the film was done and they had ADR to do and they wanted to add some ADR lines, they called me and said, we want you to write the ADR lines, which I'd never had happen before. Hmm. And I sat on a Zoom call with the editor and one of the producers and we watched the film and I wrote the ADR lines to match what the, the mouths were doing. Interesting. And that was really fun. I mean, I'd never listen. I had never had the opportunity to do that before as a writer, because usually the editors write the lines or the, or the producers just write whatever they want. But in the case of this, the one producer said, you know, you have carried this through the entire way. I was the only writer on the on the uh, production, the only writer. He said, "Let's finish it up." I like so that. That's I did nice. this. I like it. Producers don't often do that. They usually try to find the cheapest way out of something and just have somebody, you know, get it done. So it's nice to hear that. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was a it was a good time was had by all, and the movie turned out well. So I was happy about that. You know, it's it's if you want to do something you can set your mind to it and do it. It's just like screenwriting. If you want to learn something, right. You, you know, it's, it's the whole, the whole, the old joke where the, on, in New York, the guy walks up to the old man and says, how do I get to Carnegie Hall, Carnegie Hall? And the guy looks at him and says, practice. You know, that- in some ways you defy that though. I mean, your first script made it, you know, that's so unheard of, but, but, after that first script got got optioned and got into into pre-production and they were getting ready to buy it, it all disappeared. And then my first movie to get made wasn't until 12 years later. So 
But did you get uh, paid as a writer for those 12 years? Did you live off of that or were you? No, I couldn't live off of that. I was on the show and I was doing acting and I was a disc jockey. KYCY 93.3 Young Country. That's where you honed your craft, just writing all those tears? Yep. How many scripts have you written? A stack about two feet tall. 40, 50? (laughs) You know, I've never counted them. I don't know. I have to look it up. I don't know. I've sold a bunch of them. I've I've optioned a bunch of them. You know, when you option a script, it's a really great thing because it says just it says to you and to the public and to the industry, this person has written something worth trying to make. Unfortunately, 95% of option scripts never get made. And so you just have to you just have to live knowing that you can the nice things happen because you got option and maybe you could get a rewrite job out of it or maybe you can have one of those people who optioned your scripts use you as as a you know write hire you as a writer but but selling a spec script and actually having it get made that's a that's a tough one that is a really tough one of the 16 credited scripts that I have two are my original spec scripts well I, I was getting I was getting thousand dollar jobs to rewrite independent films that never saw never got out of grandma's basement right you know and and uh, that were that were shot with terrible actors and terrible sound and 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 everything else that you could do back then with trying to make an independent film for ten thousand dollars uh, uh, and I would get an occasional job like that. I was getting jobs writing corporate videos. Uh, I was getting jobs writing instructional videos. I would, I would take, I would get in, I would take any job I could get as a writer. I would write commercials because I wanted to write and see what I, how I could adapt my writing to what people needed and to be able to write and make money from. You know, I was I was trying to everything I could to to you know it was kind of like Larry Daryl and Daryl from Newhart, you know anything for a dollar, and I was I would write anything at that point. And I and don't be proud, anybody who wants to be a writer, don't be proud and don't think you're above writing anything. Write everything you can that people want to pay you for. Write corporate videos. Write instructional videos. Do whatever you need to do to to learn your craft and learn how to put things on a screen, how to write stuff that actually gets produced, whether it's something the public sees or whether it's a safety video that only the people who work in the company see. And you know what? It makes you a better writer. And it also teaches you that that, that you have no limits as a writer. Absolutely. That you can you don't have to you don't have to limit yourself. So Bob, we've been going on for well over an hour now, and we try to keep these podcasts to about an hour. Okay. There's such a wealth of information that you have. Would you be open to coming back for a part two? You bet. Anytime. 
So uh, I want to wrap it up here because I know I wouldn't listen to a two-hour podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't either. I wouldn't listen. And uh, even if it was me. So <laughs> such a pleasure. Thank love, you. love, love this wealth of knowledge that you've shared with us. Hey, time flies when you're having fun. It does. You know, the conversation went a ton of places that you know uh, we had no idea. So, so edit it down. Get it to an hour. <laughs> we'll cut it down, but we will have a part two, and you and uh, I will coordinate that and schedule. I would, I would, you know what? I would love that. That's awesome. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking your time uh, to join us here on the Script Cake Podcast, and we'll see you for part two a little later on. You got it. See ya. Have a good night. Thanks. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Script Cake Podcast. If you have any questions on screenwriting, please feel free to reach out to us at info at scriptcake.com. Also, please like our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, check out our website, scriptcake.com. Until next time.